Hey guys, John here. Let me just tell you about this independent author that just came out with a book. His name is John H. Mudgett. He has a book out called Crazy Is As Crazy Does, The Life of a Serial Killer. It is an intensely clever first-person psychological thriller that deep dives into the world of an experienced serial killer. The ebook is available for purchase on Amazon and is free for Kindle Unlimited readers. Though the protagonist, John Goodman, is a fictional character, the circumstances of Goodman's dark life are firmly rooted in historical characters and events. Crazy as this crazy does begins in 1955 and follows John as he evolves from a timid and disorganized criminal into a powerful mastermind in deception and intimidation. And let me just tell you this. What made me intrigued with John H. Mudgett's book was this. We have a character who's a serial killer, but he's putting him into the first-person view of that serial killer, so therefore you're putting him into that character's shoes. To me, that's very intriguing. I like to actually see that in, in a movie. I would actually picture that in a book. This would be a book that I would purchase for myself and everything. Matter of fact, I might actually go to Amazon right now and purchase this book because I just like the premise in itself, and this is why I'm interested in this book. So go ahead, check out John H. Mudgett's book and everything go ahead check him out once again that book is crazy as this crazy does the life of a serial killer go ahead check him out right now and hello movie lovers and welcome to the show for today's podcast episode i have john h Mudget with me. Hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. And he's an independent author who just wrote his first book. And give us a little bit of an introduction into the book and how you planned um, planned this book out and stuff like that. I'm very interested in getting to know how you came up with the concept for this for this book. <laughs> well, that's a funny question because I. I don't know. It's just been in my head for years. I've been, uh, I was watching uh, Forrest Gump for the longest time. You know, I, I watched it like six times and I, I fell in love with that movie. And then I was watching some of these other movies like The Copycat Killer, Sling Blade. Uh, it's a couple more. Mean Season, Cabin by the Lake. I don't know if you heard any of these or yeah, not. But, I have. But, I started thinking about these movies and I'm thinking, man, you know, what, what about if I had a serial killer who met like Forrest Gump just met, you know, people out there in real life and it influenced the things he had to do. And so after watching that and then watching these other movies, I was thinking to myself, you know what, this, my book sounds better than, I'm not trying to be cocky or anything, but I was saying my book sounds better than some of these other movies. So, you know, I think, and I started talking to, people that I worked with and stuff. And I was telling them the concept about, you know, what if it's, you know, how did Ted Bundy kill two people in one day? Right. What if somebody else was there and did it? You know what I mean? And then what if those two people met and then, you know, you could take it from there. So I definitely I like know. that concept to be honest with you, because what are the odds of two serial killers happen to meet at the same time and place and Bundy coaching him or co coaching him on how to kill somebody to make it look like him. Because, you know, like they say, imitation is the um, whistle, whistle word I'm thinking of. Basically, when someone imitates somebody, is the basically imitating somebody is, gives somebody great pleasure in imitating somebody. But, know you know. 
I know what but you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's not even that he imitated them. It's just they happened to be there on the same day and they ran right. into one another. I don't know. You kind of have to read the book to figure it out. But there's other instances like that. Like, you know, he runs into Charles Whitman. He runs into Jim Morrison of the Doors. And how do you run into these people? You know, read the book. You'll see. And it's not far fetched. It's very plausible. Very, very plausible. Maybe I know a guy who's 78 years old and he told me all this story. And I just don't want to really reveal that there's John really lives. You know, who knows? Right. And I like the idea that this is actually called crazy as this crazy does. And, you know, and it's actually a life of the serial killer, like you mentioned in the book. And my question is, this: how did you come up with the that title for that book? What made you say, hey, look, I, I like this idea of having a crazy as a crazy does kind of situation. And is it just because the serial killer just happens to crack on a certain day and he just goes crazy the breaking points, what exactly was the mo motive behind the title? Well, originally I was going to name it, uh, I had two names in mind, Melt Cartons, because, you know, you get pictures of, you, you know, missing people on the Melt Cartons. Right. And I had, it's in the blood because I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but I really believe that, you know, some of these people, it's in their DNA. It's just, does it get out? You know, not everybody kills, but something triggers that to make them kill. But then I kept thinking, you know, how do I have to pay homage to Forrest Gump. So instead of stupid is as stupid does, I've named it crazy is as crazy does because that's where my whole idea came from. A dark, demented, right. twisted Forrest Gump. So there you have it. Okay. That's actually pretty dark. I would actually pay money to go see a dark, and twisted Forrest Gump kind of story and everything. That'd be definitely um definitely be interesting. Also, too, uh Brandy's Brandy actually helped me out with the quote, imitation sincerest form of flattery. That's the quote that I was thinking of. And uh Brandy also says that she likes the title. Oh, thank you. Like I said, I definitely love the title itself. It's original, it's authentic, it has that Forrest Gump kind of flavor that you mentioned as well which is something that i really like that you played around with and make it something dark and has a kind of dark kind of sense of kind of humor to it if you will with stupid as a stupid does and i'd like to add driving point that's actually why i reached out to you too was because of the fact that i remember reading your um the whole entire plot where the serial killer aspect is in first person which is something that i really find very interesting because in most books that i read they don't wind up being in first person. First perfect example that I I just got done reading a James Patterson book called The Russian, and that's about a serial killer, but it's not in first person. And then there's also the Stephen King book, Mr. Mercedes, and, and of course, the Hartfield character is not in first person. And I'm like, I wish that they, had, that they would actually have captured the first person perspective because I feel like that you can do a lot with a per first person perspective and give thoughts into their heads a lot better than having to go into just explaining who uh, Brady Hartfield is or explaining the Russian um, serial killer and stuff like that. But James Patterson books, I just feel like that you can capture it a lot better with a first person kind of view with it. What made you decide and everything about doing a first person viewpoint because i find that very intriguing i'll tell you it, it, it 
Well, it doesn't start off first person, of course. Right. It, you know, it introduces the main. There's only three or four main characters, but um, not even they're not even main. John's the main one, but and everybody else is just you know there to help the story along. But uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, say that question to me one more time. I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. No, no, no. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. Um, basically, I just asked about. How did you come up with the concept of doing it in first person? Okay, I know that, yeah, right. okay, yeah. Well, the first person part, it came to me, I learned something in the military a long time ago. It's called KISS, keep it simple, stupid. And to me, it was easier to write in the first person than it was to write in the third person. So right. that's basically your answer right there. And okay. and the way he runs into everybody, he basically he's telling his story once, you know, starting out the fifth chapter, it's all first person. Okay. I definitely like that twist to it where it's actually first person, like it's in third person through the first four chapters. And then once you get into the right. fifth chapter, it's the meat and great and potatoes of what you're setting up. I like that. It has that slow, it seems like it has that slow build to it to where you're actually getting to know him outside of other people's perspectives before diving into his first person perspective. Right. So, exactly. Yes. So that's something that I really have to say that is really missing in some books that I read where you don't have that slow build and that slow tension like you just put into your book. And that's something that I really have to say that I really appreciate that you did with this book. And then you gave that slow tension and then you actually released that tension in the fifth chapter rather than just letting it burn out in the first or second chapter and everything, because I like a slow build. And that's what I like. I like slowly digesting my food. <laughs> I don't like to hurry up and stuff my face and everything. I like to actually just sit there, let the food digest and let it nourish my body. And this is exactly what I want with the, with the book. So... Um, so anyways, another question that I also wanted to know was how would you describe the conflict with each character? The conflict with each character. Well, John is very conflicted as you already know, right? Right. Well, as most and, serial killers are. <laughs> yeah. But he, he's conflicted because he's getting old. He's, he's built this legacy, but he can't share it with anybody. You know what I mean? So he, I don't know. It's like he wants to brag about all, I wouldn't say accomplishments or achievements, but he wants to brag about what he's done. But who do you tell that to? And how do you tell that? So his, his, that's his conflict, you know, and then he's conflicted with the FBI agent on a couple different levels. He doesn't know whether he wants to kill her. If he wants to keep her alive, let her go. He's not, you know what I mean? He, he's kind of conflicted with that. And also I was reading what you said down here. Don't forget to like and subscribe. But anyway, so, it's okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to distract you. No, that's um, all right. Okay. And then, and then Carla, she's actually the FBI agent. She has her little conflicts of her own. She's in her mid forties. Um, let me think for a second. Her her major co conflict, I guess, would be she discovers who John really is. And what you know, his secrets, and he and she's conflicted as to what to do with him or how she's going to deal with him if she ever gets that chance. And then you got young William, he's 
he's nine years old, so he doesn't have any conflicts except his. he just knows his mother's uh, a little overbearing. And then you have one last character. His name is Chris. He's like the sidekick for John. And uh, he's conflicted because, of course, he wants to be in charge. You know, he doesn't want to be the right-hand man. He wants to be the boss. So there's a little conflict there between those two. And it all, you know, culminates into some action and some suspense. Okay. Did I answer that's, that question right? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally that's, get it. Um, but yeah, that's actually something that um, I totally get and everything. It's kind of like a cat and mouse game kind of with the serial killer, though, too, with the FBI agent and stuff like that. And also, too, trying to do the investigation, which is something that I really do appreciate as well. Um. Then also, too, this is also something else I was wondering about. Tell us more about John Goodman and what makes him tick. Well, he's a, like he's a product of nurture and nature. And, of course, that transforms him into the ruth, ruth, ruthless killer that he is. He has no remorse, no resentments. But like I said before, you know, his chief complaint is everything he's done how do I put this? Everything he's done, he can't, he can't share it with anybody. And that's, that's his dilemma. And that's why he, you know, kidnaps the people he kidnaps and he tells a story to those people. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it's basically the only people that he can actually open up to is basically strangers. He can't go off to anybody he knows or anything like that because they think that he might be, um, they might actually have to give him some psychiatric help or something like that, but going to strangers that he doesn't really know or anything like that, he's just going to see in a first glance and then walk away and then they go about their day like nothing even happened or anything like that. It doesn't give him a chance to be a suspect or to anything in a sense, and it gives him a chance to open up to strangers to where he doesn't have to worry about overthinking about his motives or anything as much because it's easy well, at to the end he's going to kill him you know right. what i mean he, he's whoever right. hears his story doesn't live long right exactly right. it also get, opens up the door for trusting as well for where people will feel vulnerable around him to be able to open up to him and then he has that little closeness with them and then as soon as that closeness is there he pretty much wipes them off pretty much so yeah. i definitely like that as well and then you know I have to say, I mean, the original thought process with this book is just fantastic on the way that you dived into it and the way you describe each character within the book itself. And, you know, this is also another thing, though, too, that I was wondering about, too. When you have a book like this, how long does it actually take you to actually write each chapter or how much, how long does it actually take for you to to write this down or anything like that. Because I know there has to be sometimes where you're just like, oh damn, I have writer's block and stuff like that. There's just gotta be, I have to take a break or something. I gotta take a breather, let this digest a little bit to where my characters can flow. Well, before I get into that part real quick, I just wanna say one more thing about John. Even though he's demented as he is, people find find him, they don't hate him, if that's the right word. You know what I mean? They They, and it's not that they feel sorry for him. It's just the way he handles himself and the situations that he's presented with. So you'll find John to be kind of intriguing and likable in a way. It's kind of weird. But to get back to your question about um, how long does it take me to write a book? This is actually, you know, it's my first book I've written. And I'm laughing because how long has Forrest Gump been out? Since 1996, I think it was. 
And so what is oh, that? Wow. 20? Well, when I, when I published it, it was like 23 years, but um, it was life circumstances that held me back a little bit. But when I did finally sit down and say, look, I'm going to do this no matter what, it, it, it took me around nine months to put it all together. Because for years, what I've been doing is anytime I, writer's block isn't a thing for me because I don't, some writers will sit down, they say, okay, for two, three hours, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to think about what I'm going to write. That didn't happen with me. I just, it just, it, most of my stuff came to me at night in my dreams and I had a notebook by my bed and I would wake up and I would just start writing whatever I could remember, whatever came to my mind at that point. And I just kept piling it away, piling away. And then finally, when I did decide to write it, like I said, it only took me nine months is I did, once I brought it out, I made an outline of what I was going to do. I made my timeline, who was going to be in it because, you know, you have to make the timeline, uh, you have to have the timeline correct or the story won't be believable, you know? But anyway, yeah, it took me around nine months from, from actually saying this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it to when I self-published the book. You know, I, I find that greatly inspiring though where you sit on this thing for a while, right? You're like, I don't know if I should do this or not. You know, there's that question in your mind. It's like, it sounds like a good idea, but how's the delivery going to go? How is this going to look on black and white? How is this going to look on the pages that I'm going to write on and everything? In my head, it looks great, but how does it, how is it going to flow out once I actually put this on here and everything? And then after that, you're like, eh, I don't know if I should go ahead and do this or not. And then you sit on it for a little bit, and you're reminiscing. I'm like, eh, what would be, what would it be like if I did put this out? Should I put this out? Does the public need to know about this uh, book? Should I write about it? And then next thing you know, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead, go with it, see what happens. I'm going to write about this thing and see where it brings me. Because the thing is, it's actually worth the risk, you know, because you don't know what kind of adventure you're going to go on. You don't know where certain things are going to take you. So therefore you believe because you believe in it and everything and you go with it, it, it opens up a, a lot of doors for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, like I said before, I think it's, it, it's right up there with some of these movies that were out before, you mm -hmm. know, something maybe even a little better than some sling blade, you know, I like mm -hmm. sling blade, but I think they could have done a little bit better job with some of the storyline, but right. Well, speaking of Forrest Gump, though, that movie, that script was sitting in a box for years and at the studios, and they didn't even want to take a chance on it or anything like that. As a matter of fact, Forrest Gump was supposed to be 350 pounds. Really? Well, yeah. see, we're the movie buffs, so you'll know all that stuff. Right. And so, you know what's funny? Yeah. What's funny, too, is uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, no, what's no, no, funny, too, ahead. is uh, the actor there that played Forrest Gump, he. Uh, he doesn't do, uh, you know, naughty movies, if you will. And I think he would be the perfect person to do John Goodman. I, I could see it, to be honest with you. He has that innocence, right? He's got that innocence about Tom Hanks always has this innocence about himself where it's like he can go on ahead. He can be agitated in one scene and then go into it being all innocent like he didn't do anything in another scene. I could see him playing off the innocence and then also too playing somebody that is very complex at the same time. Cause it's actually hard to get that mixture of both, which is why I like Michael C. Hall for Dexter. Cause I feel like he was able to bring the, that complexity onto the screen and everything where basically what winds up happening to Dokes in the police station. And then, you know, he agitates Dokes to the point where Dokes actually 
um, pushes Dexter around in the office. And then next thing you know, Dexter acts like he ends up hitting his head on a desk. And therefore that brings into Dokes being uh, fired. And then he acts all, then next thing you know, Michael sees Hall just goes on and plays innocent with LaGretta. And she goes, James, you're fired. You're off the force. And Dexter's like, no, you don't have to fire him. He's just like, <laughs> but there's that innocence about certain uh, levels of serial killers where the point is like they can play off your innocence and then also be just as despicable though too in a sense. I get what you're saying, yeah, for sure. But I love it though. I love it. Um, so what? My other thing is this too. Why did you pick 1955 as the time period of your story? Well, if you look at most of the killers that are in my story. Uh, let me think of their names real quick because you know I got so much going on. You got Bundy, you got Kemper, you got Gacy, Charles Whitman, Jody Angelo, James Huberty, even Jim Morrison of the Doors. They were all born in the 1940s. So my guy I had to make my guy in that you know in that same era. So what as he grew up, they would meet each other, and so that's how that happened. Most of, you know, most of those killers were born in the 40s. So, right. And goes with my timeline. Exactly. I, I, here's the thing. I think I, I, here's the thing. I love historical fiction where it actually makes sense to have a certain character that's not actually part of the history, part of the history. And he's just a fictional character and he ends up intertwining with other characters within that historical era. I definitely like that flavor that it has into this thing because I'm a huge history, history buff, to be honest with you. And whenever I saw the year 1955, I'm like, okay, what other characters is going to end up meeting and how is it going to intertwine with those other characters? And you mentioned the doors, you mentioned other people in pop culture and stuff like that. Well, not the and doors, but Jim Morrison in particular. Yeah, Jim Morrison. Yeah, Jim Morrison. But still. He's crazy just, himself. <laughs> Right, exactly. He's a little eccentric and everything, mm -hmm. too. And it's going to be interesting to see how they actually interact with each other, because Jim Morrison is actually out there. And here he, here comes John Goodman, and not the actor, but the fictional character for people who are actually tuning in. But <laughs> here's John Goodman, and he's just over there talking a bunch of nonsense, and he's talking a bunch of nonsense, and before you know it, they actually have their own lingo, their own language, where they're actually making thinking that they're making sense to each other, but really, they're not making any sense to somebody on the outside of, of the spectrum, which is something that I really find fascinating about that, if that's, um, is that something that's actually part of the book in itself, where you basically have the two characters where they're kind of like, and their own little lingo, their own little language, whether it's basically just them spaced out a little bit and just being out there in their own minds, thinking that they are actually making sense. Well, you know, um, Jim Morrison in one of his uh, recordings said he killed a hitchhiker one time. And so the way, you know, the way my guy's car broke down. And so Jim decided he was going to pick up my guy and my guy, John, pick up John Goodman. And John Goodman noticed uh, Jim had a weapon in his hand. And so they started, you know, John took the lead and said, hey, I see what you're up to. You're all fucked up in your head, you know, because you're on acid or whatever. You're drunk, whatever. Be a good idea to put that knife down. You know what I mean? And then they started talking that way. And then he shows, I don't want to give away my whole book, but he shows Jimmy what's in the trunk of his car that's broke down. 
And then Jimmy's like, hey, I know a perfect place to go. And then I started, you know, they took off with that person. Oh, what signal is that? <laughs> Sorry about that. Too much? No, 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 no. You're good. You're good, man. You're good. I'm kidding. I'm good. kidding. Nah. Uh, keep on going. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying no, this. No, I think that was about it. I was just – lingo-wise, I don't think he really – there was really no – killer lingo if you will there's i mean it's hard to what's the word i'm looking for it's just hard to like you're saying it, I, I have to make it believable and it's hard to just me and you to bump into one another and have this look and say oh you're a killer too you can't do that you know it's right. not gonna work it's, that way exactly it's not like it's a yeah. meaning like an aa meaning for serial killers hey you're a killer too i'm a killer exactly. as well wait can we become friends? It, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't, it's not going to clash that well. You know, it's not stepbrothers, but still you have to have some type of meeting of the minds to where you can actually adapt into other people's brain to where, you know, you can actually have somebody that you can open up with and connect with. So that's something that you have to have. All right. um, well, you remember how Forrest Gump taught um, Elvis how to do the little, yeah, his little thing. Well, you know, my guy had came up with some verbiage for Jimmy for songs like the back door man, you know, things like that. I like that. I, I definitely right. liked how you use that analogy and everything with Elvis, with Forrest Gump and everything. I thought that's actually very interesting, but here's the thing. I'm definitely going to check out your book. I'm definitely going to buy it and everything soon. And I'll let you know what I think when I do a deep dive into it, but just the whole entire plot points in itself sounds very good. Um, Besides, here's the thing. Besides writing, what other secret skills do you have? <laughs> well, my wife told me not to to get fancy on this, but you know, gardening. I like to <laughs> garden a lot. You know, I got good fertilizer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she said I shouldn't do that because somebody's gonna take. You know, FBI might be listening, and they're gonna come down here and get me. But no, okay. uh, I'm I'm a normal guy. I like to. I'm, a, I'm an extraordinary uncle. I'd like to think I am anyway, you know, <laughs> but uh, I do family activities. We do hiking and my kids are older now. So when we do vacations, we still like to include them. If they can come, we, we try to take them with us anywhere we can because, you know, there's never enough time to to spend with your kids. You know what I mean? No, never enough. But, but yeah, uh, not that I've done this in a while, but I've, I'm looking forward to going back and playing paintball again. I'm, I'm active like that. I like doing things like that, you know, um, pretty much normal stuff. Fishing. I've been doing a lot of fishing, kayaking, things like that. You see, I, I don't like, know if like, superpowers cool. or extraordinary skills have you, but that's <laughs> what I do. Kind of boring. Right. Nah, I like kayaking. I like some outdoor stuff as well. So, and fishing, of course. So that's not, to me, that's not boring. I think that's actually pretty cool though. Um, this other thing though, too, um, why psychological horror? Why psychological horror? Well, I've always been in, intrigued about how one can just, you know, let their emotions or lack of their emotions get the best of them. And then they can just kill somebody without any type of remorse or, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for remorse or a, uh, 
or being caught for that matter. They just, they just throw caution to the wind. They think they're smarter than everybody else. And they, so it intrigues me that somebody could do something like that. True. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It totally does. Because the way our line of thinking is, is completely different to somebody that has that mindset of like, I can kill somebody without even thinking about it and not having to feel any kind of guilt or shame over it. There are people like that and everything where they can actually get away with it. Um, matter of fact, perfect example of that would be a hitman that was actually on that white boy, Rick, uh, documentary. He was actually a hitman for hire that was going to, uh, kill white boy, Rick and everything. And basically he killed other people and he was a like, for hire. And he had no remorse. He goes, I killed a bunch of people. He goes, I don't care. It's just my job. It's just another ordinary day for me in the life of a hitman, which is also the, basically the same thing for somebody that's a serial killer. It's just an everyday thing for them, like it's a normal part of their routine. Well, is it is it in the upbringing or is it in their DNA? You know, I mean, is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it both? You know, is it a combination? But the one guy that I like the best, I, I couldn't fit him in my book, of course. He's the hitman, the ice man. Have you ever seen that one? The ice man? Yeah. He'd go home to his family after chopping people up and like it was nothing, you know, it's, and he had a family. It was crazy. You see people put on masks every single day. You don't know what kind of things that other people are doing. And that's also another thing, too, where you actually have Dexter, who actually has a wife and he has a stepfather to kids putting on a mask. He describes in the first season, just pretending to try and fit in with society and everything. And he also questions society. He questions a lot of stuff. He's very complex in his own way. And he's wondering, too, am I actually the one who's actually acting to fit in? Or are they actually acting to fit in? And everything, too. So I like how certain mindsets on certain shows gives us that complexity. And also in books, of the complexity of a serial killer. And puts uh, put us into a psychological kind of thrill ride whenever we're watching something or reading something it's like a roller coaster ride we're there for the thrill you know yeah thank you yeah uh, but yeah i mean i just always been intrigued by by people who could just go out and, and what 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 right. where's what this that? line where do you just jump off the fence and say that's it i'm gonna kill you you know what i mean what what when and how does that happen so exactly. that's why i've always been intrigued and just I can understand that though, to be honest with you. It's like, where, where's, their, where's their thought process? Where's their, what's, what makes them tick? What goes through their heads to do something like this? Because in our brains, it's like, I can't do anything like this and right. everything. But for them, it's like, hey, no problem. I'll go on ahead, do whatever I need to do, and that's it. Wash the blood off, go home, I'll spend time with my kids and be done with it. And I'm like, how do you do that? Like, how? It's just very, it's a very dark place to be at, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, where my other question is this, what are some common traps for aspiring writers? Or if there is any traps that you find aspiring writers doing? Well, I'm no expert on that matter, but uh, okay. cause you know, I procrastinated for 23 years. So I guess if I had to say anything, I'd say don't procrastinate. And like you said, you got to you got to have a little confidence in, in yourself and just go for it, you know, go for broke. And so I, I guess um, don't doubt yourself and 
definitely uh, make an outline and follow that outline. You know what I mean? Cause that's going to help you. And then for sure have a couple other people look at it and bounce your ideas off those, you know, people. So it, cause it, you, you, if you just do everything yourself and you proofread it yourself and you, you have this story and then you, I think it's perfect. You know what I mean? I, I read it and read it and read it. And I'm like, Oh, it's perfect. But I handed it to somebody else to read and they're like, Oh, what about this? You know, what about that? I'm kind of lost here. Maybe you should, you know, maybe you should explain that he has a Southern accent and, you know, continue that for a couple chapters and then drop it off when they finally catch up. Because that's the one, that's the one thing about keeping it simple. I did not want to write, uh, in a Southern accent per se, because I'd have all kinds of misspellings in my book doing that. You know right. what I mean? Right. Because you're trying to do the dialect of the Southern accent. And then before you know it, you're so focused in on the Southern accent that you lose focus on what the actual plot is. And to That's me, true. and to me, you don't really need to have that. Just make it as simplistic as you can and make it its own thing. Let people interpret it the way that they need to interpret it. Whatever dialect that they that the character has, let the reader decide if this person needs to have that dialect without having to worry about uh, what the dialect and the dialogue is supposed to be like or sound like. Because each reader has their own viewpoint of how that dialect and that accent is supposed to be. And that uses the imagination and stuff like that and also speculation. And here's the thing. I love when authors gives us speculation. It gives us a chance to use our imagination. I don't like things explained to me. I, you know what I mean? Good. I like yeah, to yeah. use speculations because I like to geek out. I like to talk to my friends about stuff. And for things to be explained and everything, I don't need that. I don't need certain things to be explained to me. Just give me a simple story with simplistic stuff. Don't have to be rocket science-y or anything like that. And I'm good to go because... I like to actually have fun with it. I like to speculate. I like to use my imagination, but that's just me though. <laughs> As someone that likes to read and watch movies and everything too. I just like simplicit stuff compared to, don't get me wrong. I have a science uh, sci-fi brain, but I also like to also enjoy some simple stuff as well. But, um, well, my, well it's, just, it's pretty simple. I think in, a, in the long run, my book, I try to keep it simple, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. Um, let's see. As a writer, what would you choose as your mascot and avatar? <laughs> well, I've never, <laughs> I never really even thought about that. But um, <laughs> actually, actually, let's see if I can do it. This guy right here would be a good avatar. I would have to say that would be a good mascot and everything yeah, too. But but I guess now that I'm thinking about it, you know, I, I have to go back to um, my Forrest Gump guy. Let's you know, let's get him out there with a knife in his hand. <laughs> you know, Tom Hanks with a knife in his hand. Let's do it. All I can think of is Forrest Gump just napping on the and he's talking to somebody on the bench, and all of a sudden he goes, "My mama always said <laughs> <laughs> knife is a box of chocolates instead of life is like a box of chocolates." Oh, but, that's a good one too. <laughs> Knife is like a box of chocolates. chocolates. <laughs> um, my other thing is too. Whenever you, I love the artwork when it comes down to uh, the book and everything. How did you get come up with the artwork for it? Well, um, 
that, you know, I, I learned a lot of things as I went along and I, one of them was I had to figure out what I wanted for a book cover. And so I went on a couple of different webs, websites that um, have book cover designers and they usually, they have their book covers out there and I've seen different ones that I like, but it came down to this one and another one. And I chose this one because, well, the other one was just like blood, you know, little spots of blood everywhere. And I wanted some a little, because if I was going to name it, it's in the blood, I probably would have used that one. But because crazy is as crazy does, I had to find something a little bit crazy in it. <laughs> and that, that was crazy. And it's funny that, that um, you mentioned that because uh, the guy who, who actually did the book cover for me, his name is uh, Valdas uh, Miss, Miss Guinness, I don't want to kill his name, but it's in my book. You'll see it in the front. It's in the preface there. And he actually shared the story with me of where he found that picture. You want to take a guess of where he found the picture? Tell me. I'm intrigued. In a Russian prison. Somebody drew really? it on the wall. So a that psycho drew that picture. Now, the only difference with, with the picture, with, with this guy, with this guy's picture in the pic, the original pictures, the original picture had a regular round head, but I asked him to make it into a flat top because John Goodman has a flat top because he, you know, kind of looks like Forrest Gump. Right. But I so. still like it. I, I like the idea of something like that because it is crazy. It's exactly what you described. As crazy as as crazy does, it's crazy to think that a prisoner would actually write something like that on a wall, especially in a Russian prison. So that is definitely crazy is as crazy does because he's crazy enough just to do it. So <laughs> well, he didn't write the crazy is as crazy does, but he did draw the right. picture. Yeah. Right. But, but yeah, I think I, I actually like that concept on how real it actually is and everything too. You have some, even with the book cover, you have some fiction mixed in with nonfiction stuff and everything too. And that's makes it even more interesting to where you can actually draw people in with that and everything right. too. I can see you at a book convention or, you know, at a book signing and then explain the book cover to it and people be that much enthused and wanting to read it and everything. Cause I know if you want, if let's say for instance, I'm at a book signing and I wanted the, an autograph from you and you told me that story, I'll be, I'm going to be honest with you. As soon as I leave that bookstore, I'm going straight home and I'm going to be reading this book nonstop because <laughs> of what you told me. Because yeah, a lot of fact in with the fiction, yeah, exactly. And it's like a what if kind of thing, kind of like what Tarantino does with his World War II thing with the Inglorious Bastards, for example. Mm -hmm. You have like a what if scenario uh, thing, and you also have this with this character, a what if scenario. What if John Goodman met Ted Bundy? What if he met Jim Morrison? What if? And I like that. I like that little bit of a game changer thing that because we don't get that a lot within books that much to me at least with the, some of the stuff I, I read anyways but still I'm definitely intrigued with it um so uh, my other thing is this before I know that we had some other questions and everything but you know um before we wrap up um my other thing is too I have two other questions for you and do you plan on doing more books in the future, writing more stuff? Because I'm interested in knowing uh, what else you have planned, if you have anything planned. Well, I, I don't know. It's, it takes me, you know, I'm, I'm lazy to a point, but um, it's funny you ask that because originally, no, I wasn't going to write another book. I actually was going to end it differently than I did 
to take that equation out, but something told me just don't end it that way, end it this way. And I actually have a, there's, there's deep, dark thoughts that come in the middle of the night that for young William, and I'm starting to have a book about young William develop in my head. Will it ever come out? I, I don't know yet. I don't think I have that, but I always said it with this one. I don't think I have that much stuff, but if you just keep writing every little thing down, whether you think it matters or not, eventually you're going to have a stack of books in front of you. And then you can pull all that stuff back out and make sense of it, put it in order. So in the, in your short answer is no, I don't plan on writing another book, but maybe just mm -hmm. maybe there's one more coming. I might, I might be good for one more. Okay. Because here's the thing. I like the fact that people take their time to write a book rather than going ahead, spending one out after the next and everything and just letting it sizzle for a little bit, let it marinate. And then before you know it, you have this nice juicy steak that you're trying to process and everything and we're getting ready for it to prepare. And I look at book writing and, and screenwriting in the same way as cooking a steak because you need to put your seasonings on there. You got to let it go on ahead, marinate a little bit, come back to it, let it go on ahead and let it sit overnight. And then before you know it, the next morning, you're ready to go on ahead and cook that steak up. And then before you know it, you're ready to digest it and do everything. I, I feel the same way about art. I feel the same way about music and stuff like that too. So, you know, in writing, it's the same concept. And I'm, I hope, well, I hope the screenwriter finds my book and does that job <laughs> for me. Cause I don't think I, I'm a screenwriter at all, but I, you know, but still, um, I have to say though too. Um, I also like the movie Seven and everything. Seven is actually one of my favorite movies with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. I know who you're talking about. And I can actually see a little bit of that detective work that's going. Even though I haven't read the book, I can still picture it uh, being on that kind of level and that kind of scale, though, on that kind of crazy level of a serial killer like Kevin Spacey did. Yeah, well, that's funny because that was another book that I didn't mention about, you know, what motivated me and all that, you know, right. copycat killer and, you know, the other ones. But yeah, seven was on that list, too, but I just didn't spit it out. But yeah, it's OK. I, I think my book's right up there with seven. I can definitely I can definitely see that just judging by the car uh, by the uh, cover. Um. <laughs> it is it is very graphic, though, and some mm -hmm. people don't like that. You know what I mean? And I I, I have gotten several. I haven't gotten that many reviews, but I've, I've gotten a mixed, you know, That's you either love it or you hate it. Maybe I don't know if I kept it too simple and some people don't get it. I think the younger generation might not know the people that I'm talking about in the book, you know, so I don't know. Right. My, my thing is this, though. Do you care about uh, the reviews and stuff like that? That's something I was wondering about, too, is like when it comes down to the reviews, do you pay attention to that? Or is like, no, I read my book whatever happens happens or as a writer, do you, do you care about that? I try not to, but yeah, you know, I do care about it a little bit. I, I think the more positive response I get, the more people will be more interested in, you know, but I have seen books out there that got a lot of negative reviews along with a lot of good ones. And I think that's, what's going to happen to me. I'm going to, like I said, you either get it or you don't get it you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. You know, mm -hmm. it is graphic. I did. I don't know. Maybe I kept it too simple at the end. Cause I've been accused. One of, one of the, one of the persons accused me of, uh, what, what, what did I don't, I can't quote them word for word right at the moment, but they accused me of, of 
I must have had a deadline or a quota or something to, to do. So I ended it really quick. Well, that was a decision I made because I, I kept some of the gore out at the end. You know what I mean? Because those people right. didn't, the, the, the people at, some of the people at the end didn't really matter. And I didn't want to get into detail about how the blood spurted out or didn't spurt out. I'll let, leave right. that up to your imagination. And I didn't want to get away from the, the point, you know, the point of, of John himself. So, right. And of, also too, you know, maybe you came, maybe you're going to go back and revisit this later on. You can do a spinoff book or a sequel to the book later on. Well, that's the other thing I was thinking too, is, you know, that some of these people I, keep them coming, whether they're good, positive, bad, whatever, yeah. keep, keep them coming. Either, I don't care either way, because I'll take what you say and maybe I can incorporate it into a second edition and just make it better. Exactly. You know, but, but I just want to justify some of my actions. And it's, it, it's hard because I can't talk back to these people and say, no, this is my <laughs> thinking for this. You know, I wish I could right. really do. <laughs> if only there was like a social media for, authors and book writers for their fans or followers to where you can comment back and forth. I wish there was like a community where you can do that, you know, aside from Facebook and all that, it's just for people who love reading and wanting to interact with their favorite author. I wish they had something like that. I think they kind of do. There's a, so many different ones out there though on Facebook, you know, there's so many different, right. but I, Hey, if you ever have a question, you read my book and you have a question, find me on Facebook, instant message me. And I'll tell you exactly why I did what I did or said what I said. So right. please feel free. You know, maybe that will help you understand what the book better. You know, if, if you're one of those that are like, what the heck is he talking about? You know, <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. Uh, well, Look, I know that I had some more stuff I wanted to ask you, but I would like to actually have you back on again for some more for another Q&A in the future if you're down for that. Always, yeah. Because yeah. I might actually do something within the um, – might review a movie or something like that in the future, and I might actually have you on for like an interview and slash uh, review to okay. where we can continue off some of these questions, but I've been having just fun, just having a conversation with you and talking about certain things and things like that. I hope you had a good time as well. And I appreciate you taking your time out of your day to do this interview. I know you're pretty stacked probably as well as far as your schedule goes, but well, I just I'm going to a Halls and Oats concert tonight. So yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, have a good time, man. Have a very good time. I do hope you have a great time over there. Um, my question is this, where can people follow you at if they want to follow you? Well, I don't, I'm not very uh, computer savvy, so I only have, you know, my Facebook. So if you find John H. Mudgett, you can find me real easy because this guy's on the right there. So that's pretty much the only place you, you can follow me right now. Okay. With that being said, guys, that's going to be You buy my book on Amazon. Yep. Going ahead. Plug that in. I want you to plug uh, plug your book on Amazon. And I'll also have that in the link below. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That. And if you're a Kindle reader, you can get it for free. So there you go. Okay. And guys, here's the thing. If you guys want to go on ahead and go over to movie lovers, TV lovers unite on Facebook, that's where you can uh, follow me at. And of course you can go on Instagram underneath the same brand name and on Pinterest as well. We also go on ahead. Also too, I actually teamed up with two blur girls to do a charity event for Cincy 
That's in the comment. That's in the link below. You donate five to ten dollars towards the cause for St. Jude's for children who have cancer and things like that. Don't worry about my page. Don't worry about donating five ten dollars towards me. Let this be about St. Jude's, about saving the children and stuff like that who have cancer. So go on ahead, click that link below, and the donations go towards the cause and St. Jude's. Now, if you want to get an audio-only podcast episode of this show and many shows that we do here at Movie Love Tonight, you can get that where you guys get your podcast from. Also, too, if you're a, if you're also a podcaster or if you'd like to listen to podcasts, go over to Good Pods. Go over to Good Pods. It's an easy app. It's easy to use. It's user-friendly. And give us a rating. Give us a five-star rating if you think our episodes are five-star. If not, give us a four-star. I don't care. Just give us a rating. Tell us what you think about Movie Lovers Unite. And also, too, go on ahead and share the episodes that we have over there. We have over 400 episodes over at Good Pods or on Apple Podcasts. Where do you guys get your podcasts from? Just rate us. It helps us with the ratings and stuff of that. It's easy for people to find us at. Also, too, if you want to go on ahead and follow me on Twitter, how do you do that? Just go over to Movie Lovers Unit over there. And then, of course, you guys can go on ahead, go over to Stereo and follow me on their Movie Lovers Unit over there. If we do some um, stuff over there on Stereo from time to time, we haven't done any in a while, but if you guys want to, go on and check me out over there. And then if you're a sponsor and would like to reach out to me, uh, just go on ahead, email me at movielovesunite at gmail.com. And, of course, you can go on ahead and get your, all your entertainment needs and wants at movielovesunite.com. And thank you again, John. I do appreciate you once again for this interview and taking your time out of your night. Uh, enjoy your concert. Always until next time, guys. It's been real. It's been fun. I can't wait to do this again. And bye-bye. Wow, it's been real fun. Thanks again, John. Not a problem, man. It's Hello to everybody who's watching that knows I'm on here. <laughs>